Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen. We are taught in our American culture to be leaders. We're taught to be leaders. That's, that's what it sounds like we, we say to our kids. You gotta, you gotta lead. I have many books on my shelves about leadership. I've, I've, I've read, uh, read blog articles, gone to conferences all about leadership. You're supposed to lead the way, cast clear vision, step out of the crowd. Don't be part of the crowd. But when we follow Jesus, it's okay to follow. <laughs> Frankly, when we follow Jesus, it is good to be a follower and to let Jesus take the lead, to let Jesus be the center of attention. When following after Jesus, it is okay, it is good to be part of the crowd. So what are we supposed to do, though, when we follow after Jesus? Practically speaking, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Well, in the season of Lent here at our church, if you were with us, this is what we talked about in the season of Lent. For 40 days, we worked our way through the Red Letter Challenge practically putting the words of Jesus into practice and learning these, these five principles of being a Jesus follower, being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. We're followers of Jesus, my friends. When we confess faith in Jesus, we follow after him. And collectively, as the Christian church, we are the crowd that follows after him. In the Bible today, we just read it from John chapter 12, we begin the last week of Jesus' life. This is Holy Week, and, and today we, we read what the start of the, the beginning of Jesus' last week of life looked like. And, and what we saw today was Jesus preparing to enter into the city of Jerusalem. But first of all, what is Jesus doing in Jerusalem? Why is he going to Jerusalem? It's the celebration of the Passover. The Passover was an annual feast, an annual festival that the Israelites would, would hold. It, it basically, every single spring, they would have, it was a seven-day-long festival, uh, mostly held in the city of Jerusalem, if you could come. And, and Passover, uh, Passover was the commemoration, the remembrance of the event that happened hundreds of years prior when God's people had been slaves in Egypt and, and God had raised up his leader Moses to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, but Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the people go. So God had to send plagues on Pharaoh's house and the last plague that was sent was the plague where God sent an angel of death to take the firstborn child in every house, except he said to his people, I want you to paint the door frames of your house with the blood of the lamb, and I will pass over your house. I will spare your children. And that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh's heart was softened. He let the people go. And every year since, the Jews would celebrate this day of Passover, this festival of Passover, remembering that their salvation belongs to the Lord and that they were only saved by his hand of deliverance. 
So often for this festival, uh, it was one in which people were encouraged to travel, to pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem if they could make it for the seven-day festival. So Jesus and his disciples, they had done this before. Jesus has been to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So, you know, for for him and his disciples, it, it didn't necessarily feel like anything different. However, this year was much different for them. See, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus got word that one of his best friends by the name of Lazarus had died. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, who were also very good friends of Jesus. And Jesus had just been with them, and then, and then he left, and he gets word that Lazarus has died, and so he goes back. And Jesus is so distraught that the shortest passage in the Bible happens, Jesus wept in his humanity and his deep compassion for his friend he cried and then he went to the man's tomb and he said Lazarus come out and Lazarus who had been dead for four days walked out just think about this I think we take for granted so often these biblical stories where we go oh yeah guy walked out of the grave cool for real think about it You've been to a funeral? Imagine if four days after the funeral, Jesus showed up and said, get up. And they got up. This happened. And there were tons of people who were there who saw Lazarus dead. They were at his funeral. They had been grieving for him. And now he's alive. And so crowds of people were there. This section of scripture just prior to what we read in John chapter 12 is a section of scripture uh, that I'd like to read for you right now. I think we pass over this often, uh, but it's, it's a great section of scripture. So this is John chapter 12, starting at verse 9. If you've got a Bible, you could take it out. Otherwise, we'll put it up on the screen here. John 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, that's with Lazarus, they came, not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. You hear this? Because Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and and it was such physical evidence that Jesus was powerful, people wanted to see more of Jesus. But isn't this startling? The chief priests wanted to kill Lazarus. Yes, they were already plotting to kill Jesus, but now they want to kill the guy who, who was raised from the dead. I mean, that, that doesn't bode well for them. Isn't that amazing to see this conspiracy taking place? Now, going from there, there was already a large crowd gathered in Jerusalem getting ready for the Passover. So they had been in, in Bethany and Bethphage, which is just a small town. That's where Lazarus was, just outside of Jerusalem. So all these people get word to the people in Jerusalem, and they go out and, and meet up on the road on the way. And they come, laying their cloaks down on the ground, and they grab some palm branches and start waving them. Why palm branches, you might ask? Well, frankly, there's not a, like, a deep theological reason for it, all right? Uh, you could make some kind of abstract connections. I mean, Jewish people did grab palm branches and wave them in times of celebration. They did do that. Um, but here, you know, the palm branches were just uh, readily accessible, and it, and it was a celebratory thing, 
to wave palm branches. So that's what they did. It wasn't in connection to Passover, though. It was directly in connection with Jesus. And so they grab the palm branches and they start waving them, right? So there's all this, we call this Palm Sunday, right? As if the palms are the significance, really. Frankly, to, to burst your bubble, John is actually the only gospel writer who even mentions palm branches. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell of this story, but they don't mention palm branches. I don't know. Maybe today should have just been called Donkey Day instead, because they, they do all mention the donkeys, but I actually think, I think it's a Midwestern conspiracy with the palm branches. It's, it's to get us, who still live in the snow, to be thinking of tropical climates at this time. So isn't that nice of whoever invented and gave it the name Palm Sunday? All right. So Palm Sunday. All right. Well, you got these people welcoming Jesus, right? And then the crowd, the crowd meets Jesus, and they shout these words, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I would highly encourage you at this point to take out that lesson insert. It's printed for you. We're going to look at this gospel lesson kind of section by section today. If you've got a Bible, you can take that out too. We're going to John chapter 12. You see, to understand the events of Holy Week, you cannot understand them without an understanding of the Old Testament. I mean, everything that's happening here in the last week of Jesus' life all goes back to the Old Testament. And so I want to give you some of this depth of understanding so you can kind of pick up on what's happening here today. So it begins here with the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is a word, a Hebrew word, I already told you, but it literally means save us. Save us. And it was a common cry of Jewish people. And it was often said um, on these pilgrimages, like coming to Passover, and they had other feasts and festivals that happened all the time at the temple. And so it was a common cry of the people as they're approaching the temple to worship, to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They've been doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. As a matter of fact, if you've got that lesson insert out and you look at the Old Testament lesson, from Psalm 118, Psalm 118 and verse 25, it says, save us, we pray. Save us, we pray. You see that there? Where it says save us is literally, if you open up the Hebrew, it is the word Hosanna. Hosanna. So that Psalm 118 was one of the psalms that was said as people prepared for worship. And so this is common language in the mouths of the Israelite people. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. Now, after they cry out, Hosanna, John, the author of the gospel, inserts in another Old Testament lesson from the book of Zechariah, where John records these words, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That's a direct quote from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9. Now, what does this mean? Uh, when it says daughter of Zion, that's another way of saying uh, the city of Jerusalem and the people who live there. So, so basically, don't fear people of Jerusalem. Your king is here sitting on a donkey's colt. Sitting on a donkey's colt. So John is saying, look at Jesus. He is the king who is coming. Now, why a donkey? Why a donkey? Maybe you've heard theories or been to Palm Sunday services before. Maybe you've heard some of this, but let me just tell you, why a donkey? A variety of things. One, Jesus fulfills prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9 said, your king will come riding on a donkey. Jesus fulfills prophecy, for one. 
for two, maybe you've heard it said that Jesus came lowly in riding on a donkey, not, not parading in on a white horse as an earthly king would do. He comes humble. But even, even more so, I would say the strongest connection is this. In the Old Testament, when Israelite kings would ride through towns, you know what kind of animal Israelite kings rode on? Donkeys. Israelite kings did not ride on horses. They rode on donkeys. And a very cool thing, you can go look it up, when King Solomon, who was David's son, Solomon the third king of Israel, when Solomon was coronated essentially as king, he rode in to the city, this same city, the city of Jerusalem, on the back of a donkey. You know whose donkey he rode on? His father David's donkey. So what do you have? You have Solomon, the son of David, riding in on a donkey to show that he's the new king. Who is Jesus, the son of David, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to show that he is the new king. Cool, isn't it? What Jesus is saying, what he is demonstrating is this. You want salvation? You say, save us now, Hosanna. You want salvation? You need a king? I am he, and I am here. Verse 16, though, I want to look. I love this section. This is brutal honesty from the author of the gospel, John. He says this, verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So John is a disciple. John was an eyewitness. He was there. He was a close friend of Jesus. And so he is saying in hindsight, we had no idea what was going on. You know, it's like John was saying, us, the disciples, we were like, just nod and smile, just nod and smile, go along, I don't know, go along with it, right? But he's saying, afterwards, when Jesus was risen from the dead and the Spirit appeared to them and opened up the Scriptures to them, then they said, oh, now, now we see. Finally, John records these words, starting in verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Today, our theme is the crowd. The crowd. There's a large crowd, and they're all surrounding Jesus. They're all watching Jesus, and Jesus is center stage. Some of the crowd saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and now they're telling everyone about it. I mean, seriously, how could you not? If you had seen Jesus raise a guy from the dead, and now there are other people wanting to see Jesus, you would be saying, I just saw it. That dude over there, Lazarus, he was dead. I was at his funeral. He was in the grave. And this guy, Jesus, went and said, get up, and he got up. You would be telling everybody what greater news is there that Jesus is victorious over death. When you see something unbelievable, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to share it with other people. It's built into all your social media feeds. It's on every website, every blog, right? You see something unbelievable, what are you supposed to do? Share it. Share it. Share it. Jesus can raise somebody from the dead. Would you tell somebody, please? Why would you not? 
So there's people who saw what he could do. There were people who were curious about him, but also the Pharisees are there, and the Pharisees are plotting to kill Lazarus. They're plotting to kill Jesus. You see, they're mad because this is their Passover party. This is their deal. It's their party. Hundreds of thousands of people are here for their party, and they're mad. Frankly, they're sad. It's their party, and they're going to cry if they want to. And so they start crying, and they start crying. But soon those cries will turn to cries of condemnation and cries of lies on Friday when they start saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus is central in the crowd, and people are gathered all around. Where's your place in the crowd? You essentially have three options if we follow the Palm Sunday narrative. You have three options. What's your place in the crowd? Here are your three options. One, you don't like Jesus and you'd like to get rid of him, like the Pharisees. Number two, you're curious about Jesus. Maybe you've heard something about him and you'd like to hear more. And number three is this. You've seen what Jesus can do and you are doing everything you can to tell others about him. I pray that none of you are at number one, but if you are, I pray that your heart changes soon. You might be at number two. You might be here just today because you're a little bit curious, and if that's the case, I pray that someday you move to number three. I pray that you are at such a place in your faith in Jesus Christ that it is so real that you can't help living according to it and sharing it with other people. Today, in our church, it's Confirmation Sunday. Not at this service. We're going to in, uh, introduce you to our four confirmands at the end of this service. But it's Confirmation Sunday. It's a day where we have young people stand before the church and publicly confirm that they are Christian people. And frankly, why do we do this? Because they want you to know what they know. They want you to believe that they believe, and they want you to believe the same thing. So will you hear their testimony? We've asked these kids to write a faith essay, and in the gym, I pray that you go in and take a look. There are, there are some faith essays, a, a full page of each kid explaining their faith. But here are a couple of sentences from each of them. Maya says, Jesus is truly amazing in all he does for us. Kira says, being forgiven of my sins is the most important gift I'll ever receive. Summer says, my faith in Jesus Christ means a lot to me. He makes me feel safe and protected all the time. And Miko says, because of my faith in Jesus, I know I can always ask God for guidance and he will be there for me. What do you say? Why do you follow after Jesus? Are you? Do you desire to be part of the crowd that confesses him as Christ? Will you share with others the incredible things he has done? He raised a guy from the dead and that is just the beginning. You know, I see our lives like this. Imagine this. It's like a parade. Life is like a parade and Jesus is right in the middle. And as Jesus, it, Jesus is on the move in this world, Jesus is, is constantly hosannaing people. He's <laughs> constantly saving people. And as he does, the crowd around him grows and grows, and, and we're paraded through life. And, and it's your job and my job to bump elbows with people and say, are you here to see this guy? Yeah, you, I'll tell you about him. He, he raised a guy from the dead. He saved my life in him. I have all that I need, life everlasting and the forgiveness of my sins. You should follow after him. I believe him. I believe him. Would you do that? Rub elbows with people and tell them about Jesus? I saw this one online the other day. Maybe you saw this. Two donkeys 
were walking in Jerusalem when one donkey said to the other, just yesterday I was here carrying Jesus and the people were singing and shouting and throwing down their clothes for me to walk on. Today they don't even recognize me. And the other donkey replied, that's how it is, my friend. Without Jesus, you are nothing. It's true. Without Jesus, you are nothing, but with Jesus, you are everything. He gave up everything so that you could have everything. He gave up his life so you could have life and have it to the full. Be part of the crowd. It's good. It's good to be part of the crowd. It's not your job to save everybody, but you can bump elbows with people and say, hey, are you here to see him? Let me tell you my experience with him. So let's go this week and let's follow after him. My prayer is that you'll come back here on Thursday. On Thursday. Here's why. On Thursday and on Friday and on Sunday, each of these days, they all flow together. And on Thursday, it's called Maundy Thursday. Maundy is a, a short word for a new commandment that I give to you. And we'll focus on the item, the cup. If you've never been here for Monday, Thursday, I'd strongly recommend it. There is so much material in the Bible, in the Gospels, dedicated to what happens on Thursday night. Just think about it. From the washing of the disciples' feet, to the Last Supper, to Judas' betrayal, to Jesus praying in the garden, to his arrest, to Peter cutting off that dude's ear and Jesus putting it back on, to the start of Jesus' trial, to Peter's denial. It is all here on Thursday. I pray that you come back. And I pray that you're here on Friday for Good Friday. And then I pray that you come on Sunday when we receive the crown, the victory to eternal life. Go in God's peace. Be part of the crowd. Follow Jesus. Amen. Amen.